there were questions in Old Lyme, Connecticut, when this was starting up. You know, were these cases related to germs in the air? Was it coming from the water? And it was really only a couple hundred years ago that the prevailing theory of disease was not the germ theory. There was this thought, this notion that miasma, as it's called, so bad air was the cause of diseases in humans. And it wasn't until we came upon the germ theory of disease, which again was only in the last couple hundred years and been refined ever since, that we even knew about some of these agents. So to try to figure out the cause of conditions like this, there's a lot of pioneering science that goes into the front end. And then I think what tends to happen is clinically things get bogged down and bottlenecked. So where then the patients meet their healthcare providers, it gets very tricky to communicate new information so people can stay on the cutting edge. Have you, a loved one, or a friend been affected with Lyme disease? There are many different ways to go about diagnosing and treating Lyme incorrectly, and very few ways to do it right. In this special podcast series, Scott Endicott, Dr. Ben Lockwin, and Tom Fox uncover the shortcomings in the current standards and practices and open up a dialogue about how we can better help patients with this disease. This is Tom Fox. I'd like to introduce you to episode one in a five-part podcast series, Understanding Lyme Disease. In episode one, we take a look at the history, symptomology, and epidemiology of Lyme disease over history and how this has been a moving target. I'm joined in this episode by Scott Endicott, an executive leader in healthcare, and Dr. Ben Lockwin, a healthcare futurist. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and we are here with Scott Endicott, clinical research professional, and Ben Lockwin, healthcare policy maven for episode one of our five-part podcast series. Today, we're going to look at Lyme disease, a moving target, history, symptomology, and epidemiology. So, gentlemen, how do we know about Lyme disease? How was it first detected? Good question. I think, well, I should say first and foremost, thanks for the uh, welcome, Tom, and it's a pleasure to be here with you and also my colleague, Scott Endicott. Lyme disease, it, it looks like, has been around for potentially millions of years. There is evidence that within fossilized amber, there were some ticks where the Lyme disease organism has been found that's estimated to be about 15 million years old. There's also a mummy that was tested, and there seems to be, again, this Lyme disease organism from about a 5,300-year-old mummy. But as far as contemporary times now, the interesting thing about it is it uh, pretty much evaded detection until about the 60s or 70s. It's not really clear exactly when some of the first cases were really being diagnosed, but it was occurring around Old Lyme, Connecticut. And that's exactly where it gets the title for the organism. So the Lyme disease infectious agent was first detected in Old Lyme through some children who had pediatric rheumatoid arthritis symptoms. And so in trying to find a causative agent, that was in kind of the mid-1970s, there was a fellow named Willie Bergdorfer, who was a researcher. He had been looking at Rocky Mountain spotted fever at the time and some other tick-borne diseases and essentially turned his microscope over to what was going on in Old Lyme, Connecticut. In around 1981, 
he found an organism in some of these children and some of their parents in this Lyme, Connecticut area. And so the organism itself is named Borrelia burgdorferi in honor of Willie Burgdorfer, who was the researcher. So we've really kind of known about this organism for about 40 years or so. And again, you know, cases certainly were around in the 60s and 70s, but, you know, beyond that, it seems to have been around without really good detection. And I think that's one of the things that we'd like to talk about as part of this innovation podcast here. So why is it so important to know the symptoms of this disease? And then how does that begin to inform the conversation? This is Scott. And again, uh, I also thank you, Tom, for enabling us to join you here. The symptom set really becomes critical related to Lyme, especially simply because the diagnostic criteria have been a moving target for pretty much since the inception from 1975 on. As Ben mentioned, the original Lyme epidemic that had occurred uh, was juvenile arthritis was the trigger that then essentially pushed the uh, community to begin to look at things. It was uh, pretty much a patient or caregiver driven considered hysteria at the time that really drove people to start looking deeper beyond the fact that it would make no sense to have an epidemic of juvenile arthritis, that it's not a contagious disease. And so from the beginning, that confusion has sort of set the tone regarding how to first diagnose. And then as we talk through in this podcast today, some of the both old line as well as innovative ways to treat Lyme are still completely focused around the symptomology, which then you know, works towards the effective diagnosis and the earliest treatment possible. One of the things that's always intrigued me about this condition is, I don't want to use the word misinformation, but I'm not quite sure the information, the accuracy of the information communicated to the general public. So for instance, I can recall seeing a Time magazine cover warning us about Lyme disease. I live in the South. That's a topic of some conversation at certain parts of the year. What's the realistic chances of someone getting that, or is that not even the right question to ask? Should it simply be a concern? I would jump in here at the front end of that question and say, Lyme has been detected in all 50 states. Scott, do you have any information about Hawaii? I want to say that there's not been any Lyme cases identified in Hawaii, but... I would agree, yeah. Nothing in Hawaii that I'm aware of. And if you look at how new conditions are, you know, there's really sort of this pioneering. There's at the moving frontier of what is known and unknown in the science and epidemiology of some sort of new infectious agent. There were questions in Old Lyme, Connecticut, when this was starting up, you know, were these cases related to germs in the air? Was it coming from the water? And it was really only a couple hundred years ago that the prevailing theory of disease was not the germ theory. There was this thought, this notion that miasma, as it's called, so bad air was the cause of diseases in humans. And it wasn't until we came upon the germ theory of disease, which again was only in the last couple hundred years and been refined ever since, that we even knew about some of these agents. So to try to figure out the cause of conditions like this, there's a lot of pioneering science that goes into the front end. And then I think what tends to happen is clinically things get bogged down and bottlenecked. So where then the patients meet their healthcare providers 
it gets very tricky to communicate new information so people can stay on the cutting edge. What do you think about that, Scott? And I think that's a fantastic way to represent that is um, having uh, been through the process and myself as a patient beginning in about 2004, looking at the evolved science and the symptom sets from just how the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, uh, spoke about and referenced Lyme disease almost cryptically. Today, a about a 75 or more symptom list now that you can work from. But the challenge to your point, Tom, is that it's mostly about information exchange rather than science and diagnostic criteria being really aligned together. And that's a big part of this being uh, focused on innovation is, is interesting for both Ben and I, that there's beginning to be now a move towards moving the science to catch up what is the diagnostic and symptom identification. So you can have everything from beginning with a arterioventricular block, which it happens to be alphabetically the first symptom you're going to see on the CDC website, an AV block, which is a cardio symptom that's generally a signaling issue. It's not related to the performance of your heart. It's how your heart receives signals throughout your body, all the way out through to you know such disparate symptoms as arthritis, arthralgia, following on you know all the way out to confusion, brain fog, and even some psychiatric challenges, both median and long term. And everything points back to the one area that everyone agrees on at this stage, both the patient base as well as the physician group, is that early intervention and treatment are the critical critical path that needs to be found here. And so given that, we felt like you know that was a really good opportunity today to kind of talk about that. So moving from misinformation, lack of information, and frankly, a lack of really applied sciences to move this forward is, I think, the current state that's evolving into hopefully what will be a much more informed populace and much more informed clinical professional that is able to uh, early identify, treat effectively with a simple antibiotic treatment that has a very high incidence and capability of treating the disease effectively. But if it's missed, then all kinds of hell breaks loose, if you will, from a symptom set as well as uh, just a, a disease state standpoint. Well, gentlemen, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I hope our listeners will join us for episode two, where we take up the always interesting topic that change is the only constant. I greatly look forward to continuing the conversation. Thank you, Tom. Thanks, Tom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to episode one of a very special five-part series that I'm doing this week on Lyme disease. Why Lyme disease? Well, it's one of the most misunderstood diseases in terms of causation and, more importantly, treatment in the United States. In this five-part podcast series, I'm joined by Scott Endicott and Dr. Ben Lockwin. In episode one, we talked about the moving target, history, symptomology, and epidemiology. It turned out that Lyme disease has been around for a long, long time. Ben talked about it being found in mummies in Egypt that were over 5,000 years old. The modern history of Lyme disease began about 1960, and one of the most interesting things I found out in this episode was that 
Lyme disease is named for the location in which it was initially discovered and diagnosed, Old Lyme, Connecticut. So that was uh, pretty fascinating to me. There's been a wide variety of diagnoses and, frankly, misinformation about Lyme disease. Lyme disease is found not in the South, not in the Northeast, but in all 50 states. Well, perhaps not yet in Hawaii. So all states in the continental uh, United States in North America. The multiple issues have come up in terms of diagnosis. Many times it's misdiagnosed as some type of arthritis or other joint disease, which has led to multiple treatment companies, rather protocols being used, and those are not always effective. So in this episode, we found out about the history of it, why there's such confusion, and hopefully how this podcast series will explain to you, the listener, why we have these problems, and more importantly, how to correct them going forward. I hope you'll join us in episode two, where we take up change is the only constant in Lyme disease. This is Tom Fox. I hope you enjoy this special five-part podcast series.